Oh, hello uh, to my friends at MAFRA. It's good to be with you again. I'm sorry I can't be with you there in person, uh, as was the plan. And I'm sure you're all uh, relishing the idea of actually being together. Uh, but yeah, this Sunday is the very last Sunday that a little church that I've had a bit to do with over the years is going to meet together. They've decided they can't continue and it's time to close the doors. So they've asked me to speak at the last service that they're having there. And uh, and so I asked the MAFRA elders if it was okay if I was absent this morning and just send a video in as I've been doing it. Uh, it was agreed. So uh, t this morning I'm at a, uh, a small but faithful church in Katani uh, and I'm coming to you by the video. So thanks again to Wes Jackson from Warrigal Presbyterian. He's been doing these videos and sending them down. Um, but uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll think about God's word together. Uh, Lord God, thank you for this season of Advent, the season that... Uh, causes us to, to focus our attention on the Lord Jesus and his, uh, his appearing and uh, causes us to think also of the fact that he's promised that he will return. And so uh, we live between these two comings of the Lord Jesus. Help us now as we come to your word to, to uh, listen carefully and to take these things to heart and to resolve with the help of your spirit to obey the, the things that we find revealed here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there were, there were two constants in my childhood. I suppose there were many, but uh, two, two that really stand out um, in my memory bank are uh, the uh, Vietnam War and the protest movement that went around that and also the Beatles. Now, I was never a huge Beatles fan, the, uh, the pop group from Liverpool in England, uh, but lots of other people were, and it seemed that they were never out of the charts and they always had songs on people's lips and so on. I remember we had to sit and, and sing Beatles songs in school assemblies at primary school sometimes. That's how uh, common they were. Uh, but the Vietnam War was just an ever-present reality from the, uh, the day that we got our first television and started watching the TV news. I, it seemed that there was something about the Vietnam War every, every night on the news. And then, of course, the protest movement uh, gathered around that uh, and spread from country to country as people objected to the legality of the war. Well, the Beatles and the Vietnam War protest movement came together when in 1969 John Lennon, one of the four Beatles, and his wife Yoko Ono sponsored 12 billboards in cities around the world that bore this slogan, War is over if you want it. Then sometime after that, and in the same spirit, John Lennon wrote a song called Happy Christmas, War Is Over, which featured the same words if you listen carefully to the chorus. War is over if you want it. And his goal in doing this song was to encourage social unity and peaceful change through personal accountability and empowerment. John wanted to uh, convey an optimistic message, but he wanted to do it without the sentimentality that he thought had characterised many of the Christmas songs. And so the chorus of the song and I'll leave you to be the judge of where this sits on the sentimentality metre, uh, the chorus of the song says, A very merry Christmas and a happy new year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. So a happy new year without any fear. That strikes me as being a near universal wish. At this time of year, you will hear people saying, we hope things are better next year. Now this, is, this song, Happy Christmas War is Over, is continuing to be sung even down to today. It's been recorded by dozens of other artists. It's usually featured every year on, on the Melbourne Carols by Candlelight and others of those events. But in 2012, there was a survey of people in the United Kingdom to ask them their favourite Christmas song of all time. And Happy Christmas War is Over came in at number 10. Now there's a bit of an irony here because this song which was supposed to empower us 
empower personal accountability and, and, and get people interested in the subject of peace and so on, it, war is over if you want it, uh, there's a bit of an irony because it was released first in America on the 1st of December 1971, but due to a legal dispute between John Lennon and his music publisher, it couldn't be released in England until almost a year later in November of 1972. So war might be over for the rest of the world, but John Lennon was having a bit of a battle with his publisher. Uh, It's just not that easy to say goodbye to conflict, is it? Well, this past Monday I was listening to the radio news and uh, there was news that came through of a tornado in Horsham out in the west of Victoria. A tornado tore through the the northern part of Horsham and and left a path of destruction. And the ABC presenter that I was listening to was talking to uh, a woman from Horsham whose house had been ruined and she asked this question. The presenter said, can 2020 throw any more at us? Can 2020 throw any more at us? Well, if you think about it logically, of course it can. There's plenty of time between now and the 1st of January 2021, and who knows what might happen? Uh, Because I'm not aware that there's any book in any statute of limitations somewhere that says that there is a limit to how many bad things that can go on in a year. Um, And simply turning the page to January the 1st, 2021, isn't necessarily going to change anything. Another story... Mike Pizzolo was the Secretary of Australia's Department of Home and Affairs and he gave a speech at the Australian National University on the 13th of October of this year and his speech dealt with the threats to civilisation as we know it. He included in his list of things that could end our civilisation global pandemics, climate change, extreme weather events, supervolcanic eruptions, blocking out the sun, a powerful geomagnetic storm or cyber attack, crippling electronic technology artificial intelligence, an asteroid hitting the earth, a nuclear holocaust. And that's some list. And this is a person who's paid to be aware of these things. So a happy new year without any fear. There's plenty to be fearful of, according to the Director of Australia's Department of Home Affairs. So, thinking about these things, can humans realistically expect a world without fear? Well, the answer is yes, but you'll need to listen carefully because it won't be because we've listened to a John Lennon song and it won't be because we've uh, somehow been able to mitigate all these things that our, our security agencies tell us to be wary of. We've been thinking in this series on Advent about how Advent is a series of contemplation of waiting because Jesus came once and he will come again. And so we live in between the two comings and we're waiting now for the second advent of the Lord Jesus. We're waiting for God to restore his blessing to the world through a descendant of Eve, through a descendant of Abraham. We're waiting for a world which will be ruled by God through a descendant of the great King David who was promised that he would have an eternal reign. But we're waiting also for a world which is at peace. And so I'd like you to have a look at Daniel 7 because that's where we'll substantially be looking today with a few other things thrown in. But Daniel 7 contains an extraordinary vision that the other prophet Daniel was granted. So Daniel 7, uh, we'll just scan quickly the first few verses, but if you look in verses 2 to 8, Daniel, who's been exiled in Babylon, one of the people from Jerusalem taken as part of the, the Babylonian exile into Babylon, He's a man who's gifted in interpreting dreams and visions, but he has four visions of his own in a dream. Now, the first vision in verses 2 to 8 concerns four terrifying beasts that come up out of the sea. 
And in, uh, in verse 17, later on in the chapter, we read that these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. What Daniel's been given there is a vision that explains the true nature of human rule. Earthly rule is very, very often beastly. We have lived in a fairly quiet generation, a fairly quiet country, but for most people at most places, in most times in history, human rule has been expressed in a pretty beastly kind of a way. Well, in contrast to that, Daniel's second vision is in verses 9 and 10, and he sees there the Ancient of Days. Now, Ancient of Days is a poetic description for someone who is older than time. And clearly, it's God in all of his majesty that Daniel sees there. Well, we'll skip one and we'll go down to vision four, which is in verses 13 to 14. So read these with me, please. Daniel seven thirteen to 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So what's Daniel just seen? What's he seen there? Is it Jesus? Well, that's the Sunday school answer because when you go to Sunday school you know that the answer is always Jesus. But no, we don't want to jump to that too quickly. Daniel wouldn't have understood that he was seeing Jesus. We've got to try to understand Daniel's point of view, what he would have made of this vision, and then that will help us understand much more about the person of the Lord Jesus, as we'll see. Now, in the Bible, the, the, the phrase a son of something is, is quite frequently used, and it's used in a number of different contexts. But we find a very good parallel to this in Psalm 8. So if you have time, quickly flip over to Psalm 8. Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, the psalmist David is looking at the greatness of God's creation and wondering how in the immensity of creation God can have any regard for him at all. And so with, with all of these things, Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When Daniel has seen this one like a son of man, all that he understands so far is that this is a human. Son of man means a human. And so Daniel saw one like a son of man, but more than that, this one like a son of man comes with the clouds of heaven. Now clouds are used frequently throughout the Old Testament story and even into the New Testament as well as symbols of the presence of God. So think about what, how we know clouds turn up in the Old Testament story. Uh, during the exodus out of Egypt into the promised land where God rescued his people from slavery. Um, they went through the wilderness for 40 years and as they marched, uh, by day they were led by a pillar of cloud. Then when Moses received the Ten Commandments, he went up onto Mount Sinai and he was taken into a thick cloud in which God was. When Moses dedicated the tabernacle, and the holy place in the tabernacle, when Solomon dedicated the temple and the holy place there, God manifested his presence in a cloud. We read in Isaiah 19 verse 1, Behold, the Lord Yahweh is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. So clouds are like Yahweh the warrior's chariot. So clouds, wherever they turn up in this sort of a way, are symbols of the presence of God. They're the symbol of divinity. So what would Daniel have understood when he sees a human 
coming into the presence of the Ancient of Days with clouds. But more than that, what would he have understood when he sees in this vision that this human coming with clouds receives dominion, glory and a kingdom? And not only that, he served. These are all things that can really only go to God himself. Now we need to do some thinking about this idea of dominion and glory and a kingdom. And the, the Bible, the way it presents itself is like a beautiful stew that you might eat where you, you're reading and then you realise, oh, I've just tasted a bit of this or I've just tasted a bit of that. Very often the Bible will use a complex web of imagery which reminds us of other places. And so we need to read the Bible a lot so that these, these images have their work on us. But in, what, what's being referred to here is supposed to remind us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we read that when God created people, humankind, he created them in his own image. And so then in verse 28 of, uh, of Genesis 1, we read that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And so God gave humans dominion over all of his created order. Now dominion is a word which means rule, royal rule. So humans, in the first instance, were given royal rule under God's authority. It was their job to superintend, to, to steward, to, uh, to, to order and to keep the creation that God had given them to live in. Humans were to rule, to have dominion over creation. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we read a tragic reversal. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So Adam and Eve made the mistake, the fateful mistake, of being misled by a beast that they should have been ruling. They listened to the lies of the serpent and as a result the world was plunged under the curse of God. Work became a tyranny and access to God's presence was denied. What Daniel is seeing as he sees this son of man coming with the clouds to the Ancient of Days to receive a dominion and authority, glory and a kingdom, he's seeing the reversal, the undoing of the fall. He's seeing a human who is truly human, who is being given what was lost when Adam and Eve listened to the voice of a beast. He's seeing a human granted access to God which had been denied when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. But Daniel knew his scriptures and he would have known the writing of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 48, 11, as we have it in our version, uh, says, My glory I will not give to another. God won't share his glory with anyone. So what's happening here? This is really quite odd, quite wonderful. Chapter, chapter 7 of Daniel, verse 14, we're told that this one, like a son of man, is served. We've already seen in verse 10 that the Ancient of Days, God himself, is served by a great crowd of people. What we're seeing here is no less than a divine human king. It must have blown Daniel's mind to see a human given these privileges, this authority, this glory. This divine human king, a human who is also God, receives an indestructible and eternal kingdom which will not pass away. But there's, there's more yet. Verse 18, then verse 22, and then we'll read verse 27 because each of these three verses... Uh, adds a little more to the picture, but in verse 27 we read, 
and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So that the kingdom and the authority that the Son of Man has received, he now shares. Who with? With the people of the saints of the Most High. Now don't be misled by the word saint. It doesn't mean an extraordinary person. It doesn't mean a person who has been deemed by some church hierarchy to be a bit better than the rest of us. Uh, a saint is a person who has been made holy by God. And so the Son of Man who receives these rich privileges from the, the Ancient of Days shares it in the fullness of time with the saints of the Most High, people made holy by God. Dominion's been reallocated. What we're seeing here is that though the beasts that Daniel saw in his first vision caused great harm to the saints of the Most High, you can see that in chapter 7, verse 21, True humanity is restored to them after that suffering to the point where they will share in the reign of the creation with the Son of Man. So what's all this got to do with Advent? Well, it's only as we read Daniel 7 that we can... As we read Daniel 7 through the eye of the Lord Jesus Christ and through all that he's fulfilled that we can even understand what Daniel 7 is about. When Jesus was alive and active on earth, he's still alive, of course, and he's still active on earth through his Holy Spirit, but when Jesus was physically present here on, on earth, uh, his favourite self-description was he called himself the Son of Man. He deliberately chose that. He didn't call himself the Son of God. It would have been true, but he didn't use that phrase in reference to himself. Uh, he called himself the Son of Man because it was not a term that had associated itself at that point with Jewish messianic hopes, the hope of a Messiah, a king that God would send. The Son of Man was not a phrase that had associated itself with that. So Jesus could call himself the Son of Man and people would not really have misunderstood him at that point. But in Matthew 26, when Jesus is on trial, the phrase the Son of Man is used by Jesus in a way which is quite unmistakable. So please turn over to Matthew 26 uh, and we're reading verses 63 to 65. Jesus is on trial before the Jewish council. And to this point in proceedings, he's remained silent. Uh, the people who have levelled their accusations against him, he hasn't challenged them because he knows that his destiny is settled. He will go to the Roman cross. He knows that. So there's nothing to defend, really. But when the high priest speaks up, then Jesus does speak. So the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You've now heard this blasphemy. What Jesus has done there is he's combined Daniel 7, the idea of this son of man coming with the clouds, and he's combined it with Psalm 110, someone, a king seated at the right hand of God. Because to be seated at the right hand of God was to be occupying the place of highest honour in the court of God. By saying these things, Jesus is claiming a relationship with God which is unique to him and him alone. Now, that would be blasphemous unless it was true. 
what Jesus is saying in effect to the high priest is I might be on trial now but one day you'll see me come with the clouds and both Jesus and the high priest knew who that meant the son of man that Daniel had seen in his vision Jesus is saying I'm on trial now one day I'll return and the tables will be turned and I'll be judging you you see the thing is Jesus will return as king and judge and when he does he will finally and completely deal with and crush all beastly power all opposition to God and his anointed king and when Jesus does return his people will reign with him now that's an extraordinary thought and it's one that should warm our hearts and and thrill our souls this advent time we have the promise of of the bible that one day despite whatever suffering we've been through now one day we will reign with the lord jesus the divine son of man now this idea is picked up in revelation so go through to revelation chapter 5 right at the end of the bible revelation 5 verses 9 and 10 there's a scene into heaven's throne room where the victory of jesus the lamb of god uh, is celebrated by this great crowd they're singing and so revelation 5 9 to 10 they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for god from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our god and they shall reign on the earth make no mistake the destiny for god's saints for the people of the most high the destiny for anyone who has put their faith in god through his son the lord jesus is magnificent and glorious and the the beastly oppression of the life that we're living through now will be forgotten as we share the reign of the son of man on a renewed creation revelation 11 verse 15 tells us the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and his christ and he shall reign forever and ever Happy Christmas. War is over. Do you ever find yourself longing for a world which is truly at peace? Well, it will be one day, but it will take the return of the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Divine Son of Man, to bring that about. So in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has been witnessing how much he understood of it. It's hard to tell, but he has been witnessing Christ's heavenly exaltation and his enthronement. That happened after Jesus was crucified and was raised and when he ascended and there's a principle there this is that the secret behind history jesus experienced his glory after suffering jesus had suffered at the hands of beastly power the roman authorities combining with the jewish religious authorities to put him to an unjust death but a death that he died so that our sins could be forgiven Jesus has experienced the worst that beastly oppressive authority can throw at anyone and yet he was raised from the dead. And so the secret that underlies all of history is that life, though it's full of conflict, though it's full of threat, though it's full of things that disappoint us and dismay us and distress us, all of these are under God's control. But history is working its way to a climax and a glorious future when people put their faith and their trust in God. Glory follows suffering. So the Son of Man receives an indestructible kingdom and he shares its reign with God's people. That's the future for anyone who's put their trust in Jesus. 
Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we too will defeat death. The very worst that beastly forces can throw at us has been rendered uh, inoperative. Jesus' exaltation means that any suffering that we experience now, even that is under his control and will be constrained by his ultimate authority. So that's heaven's verdict on life. Daniel's been allowed a vision behind the scenes. He's seen the exaltation of the sun. He's seen the true nature of humanity. He's seen the true nature of beastly opposition. Do we accept heaven's verdict on life? You see, war will be over. There's that beautiful Christmas carol that we'll sing, I'm sure, a little town of Bethlehem, which says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. War will be over. The hopes and fears of the years will be met when Jesus returns. Our suffering, though real, it's temporary, but our glory will be eternal. So in this Advent season, please don't just focus your attention on the incarnation, on Jesus' first arrival. Remember too that we live between his first arrival and his second coming. He will return. And so we are called now to wait faithfully and patiently for that second Advent because Jesus will return as the world's true king and he'll end the curse of the fall. He'll establish God's blessing in an eternal rule of peace which will be shared by all his people. The Son of Man shares his rule, his reign, with the saints of the Most High. We've seen that in Daniel 7. And, and as I've said already, the saints of the Most High are those who have been made holy by faith in God. But faith in God is expressed by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is celebrated as the one who, with his blood, ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so my challenge this morning is, are you one of those are you one who has accepted that your sins made it impossible for you to know God or to be at peace with him or to enjoy his presence and his company? Sin is a dreadful thing and it separates us from the living God. But Jesus paid with his blood. His death was not an accident. It was by God's determined foreknowledge. And Jesus' death was a sacrifice to pay the price for your sin and for my sin that we could never pay ourselves. With his blood, he's purchased people for God. Are you one of them? Have you ever repented of your sins and, and asked Jesus to forgive you? Because that is the only means by which you can have peace with God and by which you can be guaranteed a share in this glorious future that we've been talking about today. The Son of Man came the first time as a servant to die and to save, but he'll come a second time as a king to rule and a judge to pronounce justice. Will you be ready? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, these are extraordinary words. In some sense, they're alarming, but they're wonderful and glorious too. And so we thank you for trusting them to us. And I pray that you would help each of us this Advent season, not just to let these things slip by, but uh, as we see the trouble in our world, we pray that you would help us to lift our heads and, and to live as people of hope and people of certainty because we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, the one who is returning to establish your heavenly kingdom here on earth. Uh, help us not to give in to doubt or despair or dismay. Help us to be people whose faith translates into, uh, into a positive outlook on life because we know it will be well 
for those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus. So help us to celebrate the incarnation and help us to celebrate it in a way which is pleasing to you, but help us also to be uh, people of contemplation, people of anticipation as we wait for that day that the Lord Jesus returns to make everything new. And we pray that you would help each of us to be found ready when that happens. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.